Today is September 10th, 2020, and it's World Suicide Prevention Day. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki, Naganago, Mekoches, Chestakomaki. My name is Red Thunder Woman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border are the Blackfeet. North of the border are the Siksika, Gunai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. Uh, these lands were signed in 1877 as Treaty 7, with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda, composed of the Wesley, Chiniki, and Bearspaw Nations, and the Dene from the Sutina Nation. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. I honor the Blackfoot as the elders and members have been so kind to me in my Red Road journey. Elder uh, Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name. I was born in Calgary or in Blackfoot, Mokinstis, as Michelle Elliott, an English name, which has afforded me a privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act and Post status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Nines Dene. My father is so Canadian, I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act and Post status card. I acknowledge my Dene lineage and that I was born in Calgary, but my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Klincho Tine Indahe in Satu Dene, meaning Many Horse Town, named after the Calgary Stampede. Land acknowledgements are critical to creating a safer space for Indigenous, as well as honoring the host as the guest and acknowledging my role as a treaty partner. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous. I just share what I think I know as I walk down the red road. If you're experiencing emotional distress, again, today is World uh, Suicide Prevention Day. After hearing anything we talk about today, and want to talk, you can call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It's toll-free, open 24 hours a day, and hopeforwellness.ca if you're a texter. For non-Indigenous, there are suicide prevention center lines and distress center lines in your area as well. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. I want to say thank you to my previous donors, for showing your support to this show. If you can value, if you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. For those that cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd just love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com. You can send in your questions or your comments. I now have a YouTube channel and would love to have you subscribe. You can go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcast or my pinned posts on social medias. Uh, I'd like to give a shout out to my super loyal donors, Adam, Alexandria, Beatrice, Ben, Beth, Brian, Kat, Celine, Christina, Crystal, Diana, Jana, Jenny, Jocelyn, Judy, Karen, Kathleen, Kenna, Leah, Leah, Lisi, Marisa, Melissa, Morami, Natalie, Nathan, Rebecca, The Sprawl, Shara, 
Sharon, Tammy, Tiffany, Vanessa, and Veronica. Thank you all. Uh, so today, I would like to introduce a friend of mine that uh, he is one of those folks that because I encourage folks to reach out, he did so. So I would like to introduce some guy to you. Hey. <laughs> Sorry, it's uh, having your having being known as some guy is actually kind of liberating. Yeah, I'm some guy. I'm from um, um, the lands of uh, Treaty Six in Saskatchewan. I grew up in uh, Prince Albert, uh, north of Saskatoon. Uh, I come from an entirely settler background. Uh, my um, uh, my grandfathers were Scottish and English. My uh, my grandmother was Irish Canadian, uh, the other Mennonite Canadian. Uh, so I am non-Indigenous as you can possibly get. Um, that said, I grew up in Prince Albert, which uh, if you're not familiar with Saskatchewan, it's uh, 90 minutes north of Saskatoon and it's a town of about 30,000 that hasn't changed much in 30 or 40 years. And uh, it's one of the most racist places you can possibly grow up. Uh, there's all sorts of reasons to uh, um, uh, look at Prince Albert with horror and uh, and and shock. It is uh, um, incarcerated <laughs> more than anything. There are so many prisons in that town. My my father worked at the uh, federal penitentiary. Uh, there there's a couple of federal institutions. There's a uh, uh, provincial men's jail, there's a provincial women's jail, there's a young offenders facility, I think there might be a psychiatric unit of another. So incarceration and the whole police incarceration complex is, is a very much a part of that town. And, uh, you know, uh, my brother had the uh, had the distinct joy of, of somebody asking him if his dad's, our, our, our dad's name was this, what my dad's name is, and, uh, and he goes, yeah, he goes, you work with him? And he goes, no, no, he, he works at the, he works at the, at the pen, right? And, and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, my dad lives there. You know, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a strange town to, to be in. But um, the, the racism that, that one experiences growing up in Prince Albert is all pervasive. Uh, I've, I left there uh, in my early 20s, and I've, uh, one of the running jokes in my life uh, as I moved to Ontario and stuff like that is I spent the last 30 years trying to unlearn the racism that uh, that I grew up with. It is so pervasive and so systemic and so ugly, uh, some of the stuff that uh, you end up learning in a town like Prince Albert. Uh, even to this day, it, uh, it follows you. And I, Michelle and I uh, had a real nice conversation about some of the stuff that I still deal with because of that. And I freaking hate it. And I freaking hate the fact that I, that I come from such a culture uh, that demonizes and uh, this whole impulse towards racism within, within our society just absolutely disgusts me. And, and I wanted to say something about it and, and what I, what I've had to deal with as a white person who ain't exactly happy with the way things are going in this country. So I'll leave it to you, Michelle. 
Yeah, I think that's a really important conversation to have, though, because we're five years past the Truth and Reconciliation Commission coming out. So we're having, for the first time, real conversations of as a Canadian citizen, what is it to really be, you know, uh, a treaty partner? What is it really to, you know, some people say allyship, accomplice. Uh, I don't know sometimes what the best language is for that. Um, but I, I do like the concept of a treaty partner, um, you know, and, and what is your role? And, and for someone like yourself to feel that you needed to come on my show to talk about, you know, the clear racism. Uh, we had a bit of a conversation about other, you know, patriarchy and homophobia. We had all sorts of conversations about different ideas that, you know, you and I were raised in. And uh, one of the things I try to tell, especially our young listeners who um, I, I appreciate you still putting up with us old people, one, but <laughs> you, you have to remember, you know, in the time that we grew up. So I'm 40 something, some guy identified as 50 something. And I, I wanted to, you know, remind the youth that when we grew up, I grew up in a small town of Sylvan Lake. It was, you know, 2,000 to 3,000 people when I first moved there. And, you know, we had like eight different Christian churches. You had like, you know, the born agains, the Mormons, the Catholics, the evangelical, well, I guess evangelical is the born agains, but you had uh, Pentecostal, um, uh, the folks who are Jehovah Witnesses, you had all these different denominations of Christianity. and I mean, there were folks that would not even play with me solely based off of the fact I wasn't their denomination. And then I had uh, another good friend who, you know, really tried to bring me into his Christian world. And uh, I, I went to a lot of youth nights and such. And at a certain point, my dad put his foot down and said, you know, you don't believe in what they believe. So there's no point in you going and, and you know, taking their resources and such. So uh, <laughs> this this was the reality we grew up in. And, and, yep. and for anyone listening who does their genealogy, you'll know that when Canadians, you know, talk about immigration, they talk about where you're from, what religion you were, and then they identify you as a race. So savage is actually quite normalized in the archives of Canada. So, you know, I, I, I wanted to give that perspective of, um, you know, us talking about different things, how queer was a really hard word for me to say for a long time because I grew up in a generation where queer was a derogatory slur. And the last thing I wanted to do was use a term like that, but it was the youth encouraging me to use it, which is why I do. But if you really listen to me, you know, I just say LGBTQ2 plus on a regular because it's really hard. And I'm just learning to say uh, BIMPOC, which is, you know, it, it identifies as black, indigenous, mixed uh, persons of color. So that that way we're trying to identify basically all the non-white people. Yeah. So trying to, trying to get used to that. Um, but I mean, I feel like BIMPOC is almost a white supremacist term because it's just not white, <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh yeah, very much so. And, uh, and it's, but it's interesting once you, uh, remove yourself from the, the thinking of the white power structure and realize just how perverse our, our society actually is. It is just so messed up. Uh, I, I can't get over how 
and bear with me, I, I live half my life in Ontario. So, um, and, and I, it has colored my perception of things. But I lived in Calgary back in the late 80s, early 90s, and then I came back here a couple of years ago. And I thought things would, would have gotten better. And no, it got worse. The racists seem to, seem to have only been energized. I mean, I grew up with the Jim Keekstras of the world uh, still teaching. Uh, Jim Keekstra, for those of you that don't know, is a well-known white supremacist. Uh, in the Red Deer area. So I grew yeah. up in Sylvan Lake, and this guy was like right in my area. And right, yeah. well, you might not know this, but down in Caroline, they were having Nazi rallies and yeah. burning like crosses and such. And actually, uh, Warren Kinsella, who's also Calgarian, he wrote a book called uh, The Web of Hate that documented a lot of this. So if anybody's hearing this for the first time and you want something to read, I really recommend Web of Hate. Oh, very much so. Uh, Kinsella, uh, for all his faults, when it comes to uh, racism uh, in Canada, he, uh, he really does have his finger on, uh, on where things are at in this country. Um, I, think, I think the Calgary experience definitely um, uh, colored his perception of things. Um, because, you, you know, people think that the West is a monolith. You know what? People in Saskatchewan aren't the same as at Alberta. There are plenty of overt racists in Saskatchewan. Do not get me wrong. But here, uh, you know, you look at the white and privileged uh, clothing brand down in Lethbridge. Um, you know, there is just such an overt, um, you know, like they just don't care. They don't even bother being polite. Uh, no, I tried to call that out, and at first yeah. it went down, but obviously enough white supremacists talked to him and said, no, we need you, we need you, <laughs> white and privileged, and, um, you know, and, and frankly, I think it's a copyright from the uh, Monopoly folks as well, so I, I, I hope, I think the only way that we're going to fucking go after those motherfuckers is to actually go to Monopoly and say, hey, did you know that they're using your image in this way? And yeah. if they do anything about it, because they have the corporate money to take down these, uh, these rednecks from Lethbridge. But, you know, obviously, activism is not always enough in a capitalist yeah. society where, you know, white people are like, oh, my God, I can still make money off of this. Because it's yeah. not enough they have stolen land. It's not enough that they have every privilege to get a job. No, no, no. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And not only that, you have to wear clothing that advertises the fact that you're an obnoxious son of a bitch. Yep. I, oh, uh, I was obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, there, there's, you know, I remember when I first moved back here and, uh, you know, a woman's walking down the aisle uh, of Costco with her four-year-old and she's, she's wearing a, a fuck Trudeau t-shirt. With her kid, and, and I can understand. And, you know, don't, I'm not going to get into the politics of it all, but it's just the discourse in this province has been denigrated to the point where people think it's just fine to, you know, wander around with a fuck Trudeau T-shirt with your kid in tow. And just to give you perspective on that. So um, when, uh, like at the height of Vital No More and all the activists, like this was after Occupy here in Calgary, 
-hmm. there was this uh, shirt that went around and it called it, it said stop Harper save Canada and we had a protest on Canada Day uh, down at Princess Island Park where we wore our you know stop Harper shirts we had our signs and um, like holy like we had people who were so angry at us for possibly disrespecting a prime minister that way <laughs> and yet today like you can't go for a drive outside of my home and not see bumper stickers uh, like people paid for decals to go onto their cars uh, they wear their t-shirts like I'm surprised there's not more tattoos that say fuck Trudeau in Alberta because of how much they hate Trudeau's and you know that's an intergenerational hate they uh, yeah. a lot of okay. parents hated the first one so now they hate the second one yep and, and uh, it, it's very much a, like a a tribal thing with them their their identity almost seems uh, tied up in how much they can display a contempt and a hatred for somebody uh, and, and I and I I just don't understand it. I don't. And then they think they're patriots. Yes. So like in one hand, if I, you say something disrespectful about the prime minister of Canada, if it's a conservative, there's this expect like expectation to you to, you know, not swear at them, not body shame them, not, um, you know, call them names, all those things. You just are not supposed to do that. So, you know, it's interesting as liberals, um, you know, I, we don't do that. We, we can't do that. Um, because like, for example, there's a lot of rumors about our premier being not straight and as liberals, like, I don't feel comfortable. And, and especially as a straight woman, I would never, you know, perpetuate some of the photos that I've seen online, um, in inner circles. I, I would never, I, I, I could never do that. But when it comes to a liberal, like, I mean, I have heard nothing but negative things about Margaret Trudeau my entire life. I've mm -hmm. heard nothing but negative things about Pierre Elliott Trudeau. I see memes of uh, Justin being Fidel Castro's kid. Um, like, or effeminate or a drama teacher. Yep. Uh, putting him in all sorts of ways that are to them shameful. Yep. Uh, and yeah, th this, is how, this is how we, we, we treat our leaders. I don't quite get it. Yeah, and then we see the sexism, like, holy, it's bad. And I mean, yeah. I experienced some of that, but not like, like Christiana Freeland. Um, I can't tell you how many people have said they hate her solely based off of the fact that her skirt is too short and she doesn't cross her legs enough. <laughs> She's fucking from Alberta. She's yeah. from peace country. Yeah. And and this is how her own people and you know, and I don't like saying that because actually a lot of the folks that live in Alberta now are some fucking Yahoo from out east who came here. And now yeah. they're speaking on behalf of us as Albertans when they don't know anything about us. I was recently on a friend of mine's podcast, um, that I grew up with. Like we grew up in Silver Lake together. Mm. And um you know, he identifies as a, you know, hard Christian, hard conservative, um, quiet separatist. And he would identify as a patriot in a second. And, uh, you know, this, this is how we grew up. Um, but he, he really isn't, uh, you know, he doesn't understand racism. He certainly doesn't understand structural racism. But, uh, you know, he doesn't say, like, squaw or awful terms like that. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, we never talked about the homophobia because 
I didn't want to touch that with him because I didn't want him to feel uncomfortable. Um, mind you, I was a guest on his show, so it's a little different there. Yeah. 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 So anyway, one of the, the reason I actually you know, uh, got in touch with you, Michelle, was because of what I witnessed here in my uh, few months of working at a large funeral home here in Calgary. Um, uh, it's, I, I, I was recruited by the funeral home. Uh, I, hold, I held an Ontario funeral director's license uh, in Ontario. I wasn't practicing at the time, but uh, um, there were positions open here in Calgary and I thought it was, it might be a good, uh, given that I have family here, um, I thought it'd be a good opportunity to maybe start things over again. I uh, I separated from my wife a couple years before I I, I moved here and uh, I went through you know your usual traumatic um, breakup. And so I thought a start in Calgary would be good. So I went to work for them, and uh, I would say it's a it's a large accomplished uh, funeral home. Uh, many many uh, licensed directors on staff, all sorts of support staff, admin staff. Uh, it, it is a full-service uh, funeral home. Uh, um, they actually own a couple other business entities in the funeral industry within Calgary. Um, um, they own a, a, a crematorium. They uh, and they provide services, uh, uh, you know, to social services. Um, they own. I, I don't think "own" is the right thing, but uh, they. Uh, um, they conduct um, uh, funerals on behalf of uh, uh, First Nations, um, Siksika, um, uh, Stony Nakoda, and uh, Tsutsina, among others. And uh, I also, in, and while it is an accomplished uh, funeral home and uh, with good service and, and, and uh, you know, a good ethic, they also... Uh, in the few short months that I worked there and wasn't even, I didn't even last year, I think it was maybe nine months, um, two of the most virulently racist uh, human beings I've ever had the misfortune of having to work with. And these two men were in, uh, one was in a bit of a position of power and the other uh, was a driver. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was also a friend of the president's, uh, the company president. And uh, I'd like to f- first and concentrate on, on, uh, uh, I'll call him Bill, Bill, the driver. That's not his name. Uh, Bill, uh, was a retired RCMP uh, inspector, if I'm not mistaken, uh, worked on several of the reserves, uh, in Alberta, uh, from one time to another. I'm, my guess, I'd place his age somewhere in the late sixties, early seventies. And, uh, and, being a RCMP inspector, your typical well-connected guy, um, wears a nice suit. Uh, that's always important in funerals, <laughs> and and looks respectable. And uh, training day, I I was getting uh, um, familiar with uh, the limousine vehicles that the uh, the firm uses. Uh, I spent six hours with the man, and it's six hours of my life that I'm never ever going to be able to get back. Uh, because he uh, he said things about Indigenous people that frankly curled my hair. I could not believe that any man could stand that. And like anybody, uh, I'm I, I've I've learned to, to um, be polite 
in situations like that. I don't confront. I don't. Uh, I don't get in people's face. And why would you say that about? Uh, I don't do that. Instead, I cower. I shirk. I. Uh, you know, I, I, I was basically all but curled up in the floorboards listening to this man froth at the mouth. And I, and I can't believe he could do that. You know, just, and, and, and you know, driver is a, a, a casual job. It's, and obviously he's a retired RCP inspector. He's just doing it for a bit of uh, money. And I don't know, maybe so he can uh, insult more Indians, Indians that way. I don't know what his deal was. Uh, but it was, but the thing is, is this, this guy had worked there for years and he felt like he could just freely come and say whatever he felt like about indigenous people. And there were absolutely no consequences whatsoever for him. And, uh, the opposite, you know what, in, in, in Alberta, like people talk about why we can't get, um, hired as, um, BIMPOC people. Like literally people reward racists. It's actually the opposite. And, then, and like I, I, I seen, I just shared uh, Harry Saunders is a, a story in here in Calgary. Yes, I follow him on Twitter as well. This really great um, piece that was in the archives of the Herald from 1912 about what it was like being black in Calgary. And it, again, it was, if you're black, you don't get have a fucking job. End of discussion. Yeah. And um, so like, I, I would just say, obviously, you know, you're, you're almost encouraged to be racist. And I mean, I see it, seen it in oil and gas all the time where people would ask me the most ridiculous, stupid questions about being indigenous. So anyway. Yeah, no, I've been there. Yeah. Uh, now the other fellow, uh, I should explain some stuff about how a funeral home works, especially a, a larger one. Um, there's often a, uh, um, you end up having defined roles. Um, and my defined role at that place was to direct uh, funerals. So I didn't sit down and arrange, you know, when the family comes in after grandma's died or whatever, I wasn't the guy that sat down at the table with you. I was the guy that, that uh, marched you in and out of the church, uh, that kind of thing. I just didn't need funeral. And the thing is, is that with me, people like me, um, guys of middling ability, but you know, some charm, uh, uh, we're a fungible asset. We're not, we're, you know, we don't, I can be, I could and was quite easily replaced when um, the funeral home let me go. Um, but there are, there are directors uh, that are worth a lot of money the funeral home. And these are guys that bring in business. Um, you know, uh, you know my, my ex-wife would uh, call them uh, in the insurance industry a producer, uh, you know, because they, they brought in revenue. And the other fellow that, uh, that I had real problems with was uh, Latter-day Saint, uh, Mormon. Um, and honest to God, one of the sweetest, nicest old men you ever met, just as long as you was white. And if you weren't, uh, God help you. Uh, not that he actually acted racist, but he would just say, you know, outrageously racist shit. And this is a man who, uh, whose family is quite well known in the funeral industry in Calgary. Uh, you know, um, there's a fair, fair number of Mormons uh, that, 
our directors and he's one of them and, and uh, he brought money in. And so he could get away with saying shit like that because he could. Now he's no longer with the firm. Uh, I don't, uh, I, I think he was near retirement at some point. Neither of these two guys are there anymore. But it, it, whether or not they're there anymore or not doesn't matter. The fact that they were employed, openly employed, and everybody seemed to know that they were racist and nobody didn't seem to give a flying fuck about the, uh, about the fact. Just struck me as really freaking weird, man. I, I, I don't understand how employing overt racist is actually good for a funeral home's business, but apparently it is. Well, and, and it really speaks of something. There was a book that really changed my worldview was it's called The Importance of Monogamy. And um, it, it's a really great read that talked about the foundation of Alberta and how it was really created with, uh, you know, imposed Christian values and imposed uh, Christian laws and, and British law. And um, the irony is uh, we were talking about white and privileged out of Lethbridge and now we're talking about a Mormon. The irony is the Blackfoot actually allowed the Mormons to come into their territory because they believed in polygamy and um, didn't believe in the white man's laws. And now we have this huge base of people that were welcomed by the Blackfoot who are now the most overtly racist towards the Blackfoot. Yeah. And, well, not just Blackfoot, but all natives. They, they don't, they don't, you see the thing about white society, they don't know the difference between any of the nations were just pan-indigenized so they just hate all natives equally but the irony is nobody would live here if it wasn't for smallpox frankly and you know the blackfoot they've they pushed out everybody out of their territory because spiritually they had a covenant with um with the earth that um is bigger than what i could possibly um explain in uh, a few minutes and it's not for me to explain frankly yeah um but it's a real shame to hear that because ultimately it should be the Mormons that should be backing the Blackfoot. It should be the Mormons. It should be the Lethbridge, that whole Southern Alberta area. You know, you'd think allyship, you think about, you know, treaty partners and, and they are not taught it. In fact, it's very clear. Everybody's taught hate in this, in this province. And I mean, this isn't something new. I was having a conversation with my dad and we're, you know, we definitely respectfully disagree. Well, I wouldn't even say respectfully at times, but <laughs> you know, he's, he seems to think that this is a new division and I'm like, no dad, this is nothing new. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and so, you know, I, I, it, it is hard. Um, I had to move here, uh, you know, for family reasons, and I have to make Alberta my home. Uh, I don't have a choice about this. There's no going back to Saskatchewan. There's no going back to Ontario for me. And to sit here in my, in my bright sunlit apartment and know people like, like, um, Jason Kenney, uh, you know, employing an openly uh, racist uh, speechwriter until a couple of days ago. Uh, Notice that they quietly let him retire on a Friday afternoon. Go figure. Hmm. Never saw that coming. Um, 
you know, and that every and that, and that Kenny and the, and the like get away often. And, and, and it's it's like watching a TV show where the cheaters always prosper, and it's like, when are they ever going to get their end? And they don't. And I'm sick of it. I'm just so freaking sick. And what a sick outlook um, Alberta actually has when it comes to race. It is just, I, I mean, I, I, and you know, I have, have had discussions in the past about um, the racism that, that, uh, that I witnessed in Ontario. And I honestly wonder um, sometimes, given, given what I've read of the history of Western Canada, whether the presence of the RCMP did something to Western Canada in ways that the East didn't get. Because there's this viciousness to the to racism within Alberta that I never experienced or never witnessed in Ontario. I could be wrong about this, but there, I swear there's a malevolency in racism in, 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 in Alberta that doesn't exist in Ontario. I could well, be wrong, but I, I mean, you, you live the life, you, you tell me. Yeah, so I, a book I highly recommend to you is Seven Fallen Feathers, um, especially Thunder Bay is so bad to name oh, yes. it. Yeah. yeah, you know, so um, I think like that's a really good starting point for how bad racism is there. I'm not gonna lie, I was incredibly insulted to go out to, you know, Toronto for the first time because everything mm -hmm. has the Queen's like crown on yes. every single road. Uh, yes. Everything there is colonial. Like yes. it's like British worshiping grounds of grossness. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there's no Canadian identity out there. It's no wonder Canada has such a problem with identity when they are so very clearly just British children. That's what they you know, our laws are all British-based. Um, it, it's just, it's a sick, disgusting feeling of a w bunch of wannabe, um, you know, British losers that left to build a country so that they could maybe get some favoritism back from the Queen. And I'm thinking of Lord Elgin specifically, like a mm -hmm. bit thinking about you know, the type of person he was, how he had a family here, that he uh, gladly left to go back to Britain in the hopes to get um, a more of the Queen's favor. And it's so, ugh, it's just gross. It's just disgusting. And then when I read, uh, so right in front of uh, the Parliament is the original jail, which now is the Ottawa Hostel. Right. Again, disgusting. Disgusting that these folks came from here and and this is my own descendant on my dad's family through the Mayflower. Uh, our people, you know, doctored these people. My first descendant of the Mayflower ended up with an indigenous wife, you know, and, and here these people treat other people like animals, just animals. They're, they are the savages. No wonder they called us savage because they, mm -hmm. they just lived it. Um, so when I see the foundations of Canada and I see the, you know, tributes to the queen, uh, well, not just the queen, but the monarchy in general, it's just disgusting. And I mean, here in Calgary, we have like the King's cavalry, like it's just, it's just oh, yeah. so yeah. to me, um, you know, the RCMP, obviously, you know, uh, Royal Canadian, it's still, 
you know, a wannabe, we're not good enough to be British, so we're yeah. Canadian. And it's just disgusting. So I think out here too, that you have to understand because like Alberta was only made in like 1905. So it was needed to have those RCMP. And I don't know if you know much about the past system, but the past system was instituted where Indian agents would decide whether or not you could leave the res. And it's not well talked about, but at the ultimately if you were native and you were caught without that pass, it was perfectly acceptable to shoot and kill you because you were seen as an animal. Mm -hmm. And that, that's still the attitude out here. I mean, we see that with the Métis uh, folks that were just murdered um, a little further north than uh, um, Red Deer there. I was just up in Cold Lake and it was, it's really hard to know that the white people hate you so much that they feel empowered to just shoot and kill you. Yep. And it's perfectly okay. Cause I, and I say that because the, the justice system has always allowed it. Uh, Colton Bushy's case, great example of it. I live in uh, Abbeydale where Colton Crowshoe went missing and there is no movement on that at all. Um, you know, it, it's just allowed to shoot and kill natives. That's why we have missing and murdered indigenous women because nobody cares about justice equally, especially when you're brown. And, um, and it's funny because I grew up white. I thought if I white coated enough, I'd be fine. But it was really clear when I gave birth at the hospital, I was red flagged as native because federally the funding comes from the feds and not provincially. Right. So as a, because I was red flagged, I was treated like a dirty fucking squaw. And that's like they kept testing me and my daughter, assuming all sorts of shit about us. So it didn't matter. I was a professional that drafted wells and pipelines. It didn't matter. I was a second generation energy. It didn't matter. My husband was. They treated me like a dirty fucking Indian. And I worked really hard with Manmeet Bular to get midwifery funded in Alberta. And today I get to see the youth working so hard in midwifery now. And now we have like native midwives. Yeah. And that's what I want for my daughter. That's what I want for the next generation. I don't ever, ever want these stupid health professionals who don't give a flying shit about anybody who's white, about who's white. Yeah. You know, to touch another uh, like Bimpok person ever because they are savage to our people. And I'm I, so tired of it. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I, I'm, I've gotten an indigenous friend back in, back in Ontario who's been trying to get uh, help for her daughter who's got a rather complex health issue. And uh, so she's been in and out of the hospital in both Aurelia and Barry, And uh, you know, her mom, uh, well, she's Rama First Nation, and uh, it's like they put up roadblocks, make sure that her daughter can't get better. Every step of the way. That's why we, we like, people say, oh, it's because you're inferior. And it's like, fuck you. You guys have experimented on us. You've taken away our food source. You've put in us an Indian residential school. You've stolen our children. And you won't give us proper health care. You never have, never will give us proper health care, proper education, proper justice. And then you wonder why we dropped dead at 44 of a fucking heart attack. Yeah. Or, uh, or we drown ourselves in booze or uh, end up with a syringe in our arm uh, dead on a floor in a basement somewhere in downtown Calgary. Yeah. And I, I've had to pick those guys up. Um, uh, you know, as one of the things you do as a funeral director is, is uh, uh, 
your transfers. And so, you know, you pick them up from the scene of death. And uh, I mean, in the nine months that, that I, nine short months that I worked here, uh, I probably was peripherally involved in nine or 10 opiate deaths, uh, uh, four or five of which were indigenous. And it's like everybody, this sort of shrugs says, oh, nothing we can do about it. Well, you know, there is something we can do about it. We can start talking about it instead of that. Um, one of the things that, that politicized me in this whole thing was reading Clearing the Plains. I've, uh, I don't know if you've ever read, read it, but if you ever want to read the technical aspect of how the genocide worked in, in, in Southern Ontario, Southern Alberta and, or Alberta and Saskatchewan especially, that is the book to read. Uh, you know, the... Uh, Can you say the uh, name again? Clearing, uh, clearing the Plains? Yeah, I do a book club. I don't know if you're aware, but we've done that book. Have you? Okay. And so I'm really glad that you brought it up and that you, you talked about it in such a good way. And yeah. I, I just want to take this moment to encourage everybody to not just read Clearing the Plains, but it, to good, give it a good review. Because another form of racism our Indigenous um, books actually face is, you know, white supremacists, white people who hate natives, leaving really crappy book reviews. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's all, and that's, the, and that's the, 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 the really disturbing thing about it is that we're in an information world where people use the tools like Amazon and Goodreads and whatnot. They, they will fight their racist fight on every ground you give them to fight it on and how do you go how do you go on like this how do i mean I, i'm not even i mean they're not trying to kill me they're trying to kill you michelle how, how do you go on every day like this well you know there's there's the and, and somebody who is uh, a lot more spiritually awakened than i did said this right where they said uh, there's low frequency conversations and high frequency conversations. And what that means is, you know, um, and, and I probably would argue that you see a lot of that low frequency conversation that I put out there on my podcast and on my social media is because um, I think it's important to call out racism because I grew you and I grew up in a time where it was polite to just nod and not say anything and not create a fuss. And in my case, as a woman, be a quiet, good, submissive, little Christian. Yeah. And um, because those days are done and I care about the next generation, like today is World Suicide Prevention Day. Yeah. How many traumas people have had that that is why there's such a suicide epidemic. I mean, capitalism is the stinky armpit of the earth. So. You ask me why I, I get up every day and I have the energy to do what I do. To me, I find these low frequency conversations quite easy. Um, that's fine. But the higher frequency conversations, the, the bigger picture conversations are that spiritual covenant. I have a spiritual covenant to that treaty. I have a spiritual covenant to the land. I have a spiritual covenant to the next generation. I have a spiritual covenant to my ancestors. My ancestors did not survive Indian residential school, smallpox, and all of these things. So I can sit here and suck my thumb like a fucking baby. And I'm not trying to dismiss other people's trauma because there's a good goddamn reason why, you know, people drink, why they have addictions, why, um, 
they do commit right. suicide and I do not blame a single person. Absolutely. My existence is resistance. And right. I'm lucky enough to have a daughter. If I wouldn't have had such a bad birth, I know we wanted to have at least two babies. My husband, I could tell he could have more if he wanted even that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I, I can't go through this system again. Um, it was really awful and traumatizing. And like yeah. an idiot, my first counselor was a Christian. So at a certain point, she tried to have me take personal responsibility for my bad birth as if I was the one who called the, uh, you know, social services or whichever. But anyway, um, you know, structural racism is lost on a lot yeah. of Christians. They don't understand it. So yeah. anyway, um, you know, that's, that's why, because Mother Earth is going to be around whether or not I, we're here. Yeah. But the problem is, is that we had treaties with, you know, the sky, the water. Um, and, and I know this is a higher level conversation for most white people. They don't understand what I'm talking about. They don't understand that the water has spirit. They don't understand the air has spirit. They don't understand the everything has spirit. And as a result, we're breaking treaties with that. We're as indigenous people, we are the humans that are standing up for the forest, for the for the earth, for Mother mm -hmm. Earth, for everything. You know, we have um, constant conversations with our ancestors that non-natives don't because they consider that mental health issues. They consider that uh, you know demonic, um, non-Christian, whatever, whatever the bullshittery is. So as a result, we like we we just can't even have this our our conversation of our worldview with a lot of non-Indigenous because uh, schizophrenia. I know a lot of Indigenous that have been forced on schizophrenic uh, medications because mm -hmm. God forbid they have uh, a higher power connection than what these feeble nurses and doctors can possibly comprehend in Western medicine. Um, I'm not saying that there isn't people who need uh, schizophrenic medication, but at the same time, if elders were allowed to take our own indigenous into our communities, and I mean, white people know the best way to have genocide is to continue to steal these babies. And our generation, like, it's funny to watch people demonize the older generations for Indian residential school when it's literally three times worse right now, today. And Canadians are like, so when are we going to have the hockey game reopen? <laughs> Let's have some yep. beer. Boy, that Ralph Klein sure was a great guy. Those are the low conversation, low frequency conversations average Albertans are saying. Yeah. Like, they don't, they don't have any concept of what Indigenous worldview is. No, and that's something you're, you're going to get with, what, with, with um, white Europeans in, in, in Canada because, well, let's, let's face it, they're a displaced people. We are, you know, in, in, uh, in the whites in Canada, this, you're not from here, you know? I'm not really from here. I'm sort of from Scotland and England. They, uh, and because of that, there's, what am I trying to say here? There's the, have world views, different world. Yeah, views. yeah, there's an entirely different worldview, yeah. yeah. And, and there's an exploitation, exploitate, exploitative narrative to white culture and the, and the land that isn't there within indigenous. And 
reconciling those two views is probably one of the greatest challenges I think we face as a society um, because one's unsustainable and one leads to ruin. And I mean, that's why we Which have- exactly like, why they left their country to come here. Like, and that's, that's the irony. Like anyone who's not from, who's not indigenous and in Canada, it's literally because of this capitalist machine that they're here. Yeah. Well, yeah. And um, I don't know whether, I, I honestly do not know if white leadership within Canada is ever going to be mature enough to do this. I, 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 I don't see it. I, I don't, I think. And it's not just white. Literally, yeah. I've heard Nenshi talk about how, you know, there was nothing here and immigrants from all over the world came here to make Calgary such a great place. Uh -huh. And obviously someone from Treaty 7 took him aside and said, hey, and now he has a wonderful land acknowledgement, which he does do a good job of. But the point is, is that he, like many folks in that I live in, that call, I call my neighbors, have zero freaking concept of this. And some of the worst racism we face as Indigenous people are literally from people who also face racism, but they see us as lower than them. And because they've come from a colonized country that British totally fucked up, and, and the French, I shouldn't just leave Britain out of that, you know, <laughs> they actually are more derogatory to us. I can't tell you how, even with the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, trying to have a conversation with some of the leaders about some of the issues that they've said about Indigenous people, against Indigenous people. I seen an Inuit actually get her art show shut down because of, you know, and some immigrant who decided that, you know, they were imitating blackface instead of, you know, actually learning about the country that, that they're on. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I, I get, it w there's no space for that right now. Um, yeah. yeah. And I, I don't think it's, it's ever going, you know, the solutions that we need in this country are ever going to come from the, the white political classes in Canada. It's not going to happen. They financially benefit to our, our genocide and to the exploitation of the earth. Yeah. So everything, and, and it's not just here, Calgary is the epicenter. And if you listen to any of my other podcasts and one with Vanessa was a really good one where we actually talked about um, the exploitation of indigenous people globally and how the energy companies straight out of Calgary are the ones murdering indigenous women, yeah. not just here, but globally. Yeah. You know? um, so it, it's, and the reality is the average Calgarian's like, well, what do you mean? I mean, I just went to go get my latte, and now we're going to go watch the hockey game. Well, what's the problem here? Go Flames. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, and it's hard, you know, when they've been told to ignore this stuff for so long, it's hard to get angry at them when they've been told that, you know. Um, at the same time, I see this, you know, like, Honest to God, I, Michelle, I, I, when I, when I first moved here, just before Kenny was elected, I did not really imagine that he was going to become the demented hellscape that it has become since Kenny was elected. Uh, and I don't mean to make this political, except in the fact that 
the man employed a racist speechwriter for crying out loud and didn't think it was a big deal and never apologized for it and then just quietly let him retire. Well, and worse, like one of the things that I think is so unforgivable, I don't know how he sleeps at night as a Christian. In the height of the AIDS epidemic, he was in San Francisco and he was the one who tried to stop like partners from being with their partners as they died of AIDS. What kind of fucking scum of the earth could possibly behave that way? Like, yeah. I cannot imagine saying, oh, you love this person? Oh, well, you can't be with them. But this is the same group of people who happily steal Indigenous children knowing, knowing it leads to genocide. Knowing yeah. it. It's written in so many reports. Yeah. Our, our genocide is so exploited and studied and in every commission and report. And yet, and it's the solutions are right in front of everybody. And most Canadians can't even be bothered to read 94 calls to action, let alone 231 calls to justice. Because, you know, there's hockey. <laughs> there's always hockey. Yeah, I, you know, one of the most disturbing things, I think, that, are, that has come out of the, me looking at racism within Canada, and especially the current situation, is the thing I, I saw last week where uh, the ar- architects of apartheid in, in South Africa came to Canada to learn how to run an apartheid system. You know, uh, they came up here to see the residential schools and see how we did it. So we informed them on how to do the racism thing. And Hitler. Yeah. But hey, Canada, let's win. <laughs> you know, uh, and, you know, we spent all this time. I mean, I remember when Moen was prime. Prime Minister, how, you know, isolating South Africa was such an important thing for Canada to do. And, and weren't we so glad that, that, uh, that uh, Prime Minister Brian was doing that and le- showing leadership with, with his good friend Margaret, uh, you know, God almighty. Yep. Uh, you well, know. I really appreciate you coming on my show and talking a bit about the... Uh, issues of racism that you've seen and specifically in the funeral industry. Thank you. Oh yeah. And it's not the first, first, first time I've seen it either. It's just the most overt one. Yeah. Uh, shocked. Yeah. Profiting from the, the genocide of indigenous people. Mm-hmm. Isn't it great? Well, not only that, but you know, um, at a time when families are at their worst, uh, because they've lost somebody they give a shit about. And it's just another just another chance to exploit them instead. Another form of racism. Um, yeah. and, th- and that's the worst part is that, you know, I think you and I kind of talked about the subtlety of it at times. And that's yeah. such a great example of when we know subtly, people don't respect us. Um, I'll give you an example. I um, get my oil changed at a regular place. As long as I white code, I wear all the makeup, white makeup. Mm-hmm. I put my hair in a bun. I don't wear anything native. Um, I get great service. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, because I, I just came back from camping and like, I'm not kidding. I'm sore. I'm stiff. I feel like mm-hmm. hell. I was on pain meds yesterday, <laughs> trying day after unpacking my van and cleaning it up. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and so I wasn't feeling like I'm, I'm going to white coat. I'm not going to fake this. I'm not kidding. He didn't recognize me. It didn't matter that I was in the system with how many oil changes under my belt. 
it's, it's night and day difference. And by the same person, he just doesn't even recognize me when I don't yeah. like both. So. Yeah. yeah, I know. And uh, it, it just doesn't, we didn't need to do it like this. And I don't know. And I don't know where the answers lie. I don't know. You know, I do. I, I mean, and, and ultimately you see that with Jason Kenney not allowing education in the system. Um, and you see it with the average Canadian not, you know, reading a book. I mean, thank God yeah. at least read Clearing the Plains and gave it a positive review. But, you know, yeah. that's where it is. The average Canadian needs to see their place in reconciliation, that it's bigger than just, you know, the Alberta government and the Canadian government. And then we need to hold these governments to account when they fuck it up. Yeah. Um, like, so for example, with Kenny, like, why on earth wouldn't you want to modernize, modernize the curriculum for the children? Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, we're homeschooling this year for a lot, multiple reasons, yeah. but the racism in the education system is so ugly. And the worst part is these are progressive people who actually think they're doing good. Yeah. They, they are rude to my daughter. They disregard my daughter. She knows more about there are spiritual practices than they do out of a book and yet they don't listen to her. Uh, the only people who listened to her and that she would listen to was when they actually brought in a native and most of the natives they brought in knew my daughter and she, you know, they would hug and kiss and she would be the, you know, um, assistant to, but when they're not there, they just treat my daughter like a dirty little squaw. And the irony is she doesn't even like, we talk about all the time of like the stereotypes of what natives have to look like and what they don't look like. And I'm hoping we're starting to break a lot of that as beautiful as she is, as blonde and blue eyed as she is, we still treat her like a dirty squaw. So yeah. fuck yeah. Up. they don't get the, like my daughter is, is amazing and they don't get her. They don't get to treat her like that. No, no. And not only that, but, you know, she's got 70, 80, 90 more years, at least, in her life, and she's going to have to carry around this shit. One of my favorite people in my book club has been fighting racism for decades, yeah. literally decades. And she's been working literally with the Calgary um, Board of Education for decades on anti-racism. And I, uh, I bawled um, when I seen it, because there's a, a young black girl who just committed suicide she was supposed to start grade 11 and the bullying was so bad she took her life mm -hmm. and um you know i i think of all the kids right now who are so excited to go to school and i'm like so out of the 10 kids nine out of ten are bullying this little girl to the point of suicide yeah so your kids are happy to go to school because who are they picking on yeah. who, who are they picking on that that these kids feel that they need to commit suicide. Indigenous yeah. kids are committing suicide disproportionately yeah. because of the racism in Canada. Yeah, yeah. And, okay. uh, you know, I, I've talked to you about my, uh, privately about uh, some of my childhood stuff. And uh, I think about, you know, the kids that uh, disappeared. Like all of a sudden they were gone. You know, they were, they were coming to high school, they sat in the back, you didn't see much, but all of a sudden they were gone and you didn't know where they went and they never came back. Every single one of those kids back at Carleton in, in Prince Albert was Indigenous. 
and just one day either they had enough and they left town or they whatever, but nobody is speaking up for them ever. And I don't want us to do that anymore. I want to speak up for those kids. I, I, you know, I want, I want people like you to, to, to think that we honor you, you know, that, that you, you shared this country with us. Um, and yet, our way of thanking the indigenous population of Canada is one enormous fuck you. And it's word. It is repulsive. It is disgusting. And why, and why is this? Why have we done this? You know, it, it, because it is always been done this way. Well, guess what? Times are changing. And, you know, I, I take some hope in the Black Lives Matter thing that people seem to be much more invested in a, in a more progressive future. But at the same time, I look at how bad people prosper in times like, like right now, and it's hard not to lose hope, yeah. you know? And uh, I don't want it to be this way for my kids. I don't want my children sitting down with your kids in 40 years time, sitting in front of a laptop, telling, well, you know, if your dad and, and uh, you know, just actually had spoken up about something, we wouldn't be stuck in the situation we're still in, you know, 60 years later. But I don't know, I, I guess I, I'm looking for a place to safely be angry about this. I, 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 that's the thing that really bothers me is that I've got this burning anger and passion about how fucked up the, the, the relationship is between the Indigenous and the rest of Canada. And I, I don't understand how, you know, not honoring our commitments, not honoring the treaties, not kicking everything down the road. And, and, and bear with me for a second, as much as I've said, we've said nice things about Trudeau, um, this current liberal government in Canada has done nothing but kick the can further and further down the road when it comes to um, Indigenous relations in Canada. They, 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 they pay all sorts of lip service to the bright and shiny things, you know, coming out and saying, yeah, we should have a reconciliation day as a holiday. Yeah, great idea. But do the other 44 things first on the list. Don't do and do that one last when it's, you know, when it's when we have our victory party that we we finally got it right. Don't do it now. Because doing it now says just says, eh, who cares? I, you know what? I won't name her, but one of our current ministers, I, I met her and I spoke to her, and everyone loves her. Mm -hmm. And I said to her, I think I know who you're talking about. We have to work harder at um, Indigenous inclusion. And she said, don't worry, as long as we start including the women, then the others will come. And so I was othered by this, my, me and my people are othered. <laughs> woman who, you know, um, actually she's the, one of the favorite refugee stories of Canada. And I, I just, it, it, again, it's that racism that I like, the worst institutional racism you can possibly get is from literally a minister of Canada who is 
um, you know, uh, MPOC or, or BIMPOC. Yeah. And she just bothers Indigenous people. Like, it, there's no concept of treaty, no concept of treaty partnership, no concept of it. And here she is, one of the strongest portfolios in Canada. Yeah. And that this is just the racism I face within the party every time I have to interact with it. It's just, it's constant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... Losing hope is real easy in a, in a time like this. And um, I don't have that privilege anymore of, of, <laughs> of ignoring it. I, I wish I did. I wish I could go back to the old days where um, like everybody else watching, uh, watching the Leafs play the flames, I could just sit back on the, on, on the couch and be happy about, about my life, but I'm not. Because I, I know what's, what sickness lies within us as a society and how well i don't understand like just let's just pretend christianity is the number one amazing thing of the fucking planet and we all <laughs> just love christianity yeah. when did greed become okay for these so-called christians because that is so clearly what it is. It's all the land, it's all of the money, mm -hmm. and it's a very small few who get any of it. When did yeah. that become okay? Because isn't one of the worst sins of Christianity greed? Yeah. And yet it's so clearly like the underpinning of everything in capitalism is greed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and <sighs> there's plenty to go around in this country. We could all live happy and free. Not just this country, this world. Yeah. That's the irony is that we could live together and actually learn from each other, but instead we have white people selling our sage that we can't even get a hold of. And Justin Trudeau is getting a headdress that our native folks can't even acknowledge their culture with. Yeah. You know, it's the world is so backwards right now. Yeah. Yeah. And, but at the same time, um, it, it's like, I'm sorry, I, I'm struggling for words here, and I, uh, it's, it's just that I am a little emotional <laughs> about the issue. Um, how, how did we, how did Canada as a culture, and you know, white Canada, get so, so fucked up? You, you know, I mean, I'm part of it. I, 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 and I know that, and I, and I know that sometimes I still do racist shit, uh, not because I meant to, but because that's what I grew up with, man. And sometimes you don't even know, you know, you don't know the, the environment that you're in and that it has, has polluted you somehow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. I think we could probably talk about this for a long time. Oh, yes, we could. Good. <laughs> You know, uh, so I, I want to thank you for being on my show and for sharing your thoughts today. And, you know, um, and I welcome you on my show anytime, especially. Ah, yeah. Yeah. The re return of some guy. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's interesting. Uh, a lot of people listen, but I don't get to hear from them. And then when I talk <laughs> to the community, then they tell me it, like something about something somebody said. Um, the most recent one where I was a guest on somebody else's show, I've actually, I can't tell you how many in-person conversations I've had about that, but, um, 
you know, people are afraid to type it or whichever. So you might be surprised how many people really hear you and relate to you and, and, uh, you know, just keep that in mind that, and that's that bigger picture that some, that higher frequency conversation sometimes that we don't acknowledge is there. And a lot of people say, you know, this is a good podcast for them to listen to. So, you know, don't give up hope. I uh, know so that you have the next generation and that we have a, you know, a spiritual connection here that we need to um, uphold that's bigger than what, you know, you and I can articulate in an hour. That's for sure. <laughs> I, pro- I, I could probably I couldn't articulate it in a week. Uh, <laughs> one thing I, I wanted to um, emphasize with you is that if anybody listening or watching or whatever it is has experienced racism, uh, within the funeral industry, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, and uh, if they can get in touch with you, um, they can. Well, you'll put me in touch with uh, with whoever. I can uh, verify who some guy actually is. Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> some guy really was a funeral director and 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 whatnot. But it, it, it's. I I have a feeling that that I'm just talking about the tip of the iceberg in terms of racism within. And maybe we can get something going on that. Uh, I'd love to see some kind of groundswell because there's a lot of directors like me who are decent, progressive people, but also have to toe the line. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of secrecy in the funeral industry and there's a lot of uh, not truth telling, let's put it that way. And I think being a little more open about it would be really helpful. Awesome. Well, I'll put that as a part of the description that it, yep. anybody who's ever experienced racism to contact us so that we yep. can put that together. Because um, like, honestly, I think that if you sat down and you started to put together stories like that, you could probably have a book as sad yep. as it is. And, um, and the thing about reconciliation, there's not a single place that it doesn't need to be touching including yep. the funeral industry. Yeah. Um, I, when I ran uh, municipally, I really tried to <laughs> emphasize how harmful and racist the Beaufort Tower art display on the west side of the town is. Oh, yes. And yet, it just, I swear to God, in one ear, out the other. And now we have this permanent structure that is an appropriation of our culture, and not just any part of our culture, but literally the most sacred part of death. And it's just on full display of racism for everybody to see and to wel- so-called welcome Indigenous into the territory of Calgary. Come on, people. Yeah. Get with yeah. it. But, you know, it's just some Native woman who's running for council talking, so who's going to listen to her? That's, it's, that's the racism. That's the bias that people have that they don't question. And now we have an absolute like not just an insult, but a spiritual insult to our people sitting there. And everybody's a-okay with it because as you said, we all politely smile and not make a fuss. Yep. Yep. Stop stop smiling. Start making a fuss. Start calling it out. (laughs) Thanks again for being on my show. I'm going to uh, close out here and you're welcome to chime in. Um, as if there's something that you might relate to that you might want to talk about. Indigenous have been talking about our issues, sharing our traumas in reports, commissions, and in public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words. 
honor the treaties, listen to politicians and their platforms and policies. They don't recognize the marginalized in their budget with gender equity plus if they're cutting violence prevention programs and services, indigenous education, uterus, health choices, gay straight alliances, uh, lack of human rights for migrants, for immigrants, for folks with disabilities. Know that your vote to that party directly negatively impacts marginalized people. Demand they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's calls to action. The recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples. The multiple reports about child welfare, child welfare reform. The violence prevention and now the 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls, Two-Spirit and Transgender Indigenous. Denying these, bleh, denying these reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational, justice, and health institutions with multiple reports that say the same things. Demand change from election platforms and politicians. If they don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, and sexism, they literally have zero business running. This should be understood by all parties, local politicians, community organizations, sports, etc. I have a really great article I said out loud in episode 62 called Truth Before Truth, How Non-Indigenous Canadians Become Allies. Um, and I'm just going to do a quick plug for a friend of mine um, I spent the weekend with, and he, uh, Joey Polubny, if you Google his book about reconciliation, highly recommend it. Um, I want to put cultural safety into action by creating a safer space for Indigenous, people of color, those with a disability, LGBTQ2+, to speak, look at it as first aid. First, you have to do something. Having good intentions is not enough. You have to take action to make change. You have to speak out against racism. You have to ask questions with those with more understanding. You have to find allies and create a support system for yourself that you can advocate for culturally safe approaches. So for example, I have a book club, but there's also the Settler Book Club here in Calgary. Uh, take responsibility for your own learning. Read, reflect, ask questions. Don't always expect this learning to come from Indigenous people, especially when it's already printed, documentaries, set in podcasts, whichever. Take time for self-reflection. Be aware of your own assumptions and biases. Question everything you've learned about Indigenous people and take steps to actively disrupt those biases and stereotypes. Commit to lifelong learning. Be prepared to be uncomfortable. Understanding colonialism and the legacy of racism is an ongoing and difficult task. And I want to say thank you to heretohelp.bc.ca. Uh, and they have a section of what is Indigenous cultural safety and why I should care about it for those guidelines. Internalized racism or lateral violence is another form of violence Indigenous or marginalized folks experience by the structure of racism imposed on these lands. Um, and I talked a lot about it with the, uh, you know, land acknowledgement issues or, or people who already experience racism being um, negative towards us. But, you know, this was caused by the Indian Act, the Indian residential schools and other land clearing policies. Um, and again, my guest, other guy here, he brought up that book, Clear in the Plains. I hope you uh, read it. So if you're not too sure what internalized racism is, I highly recommend going to racialequitytools.org. Donna Bevins has some information there. Uh, the American Friends Service Committee has some good do's and don'ts for bystander intervention so that if you witness public instances of racism 
anti-blackness, anti-Muslim, anti-indigenous, anti-trans, or other form of oppressive interpersonal violence and harassment. They have tips on how to keep people safe, like do make your presence known. If possible, make eye contact. If it's safe to do so, film, record the event, because it's a lot easier to delete it later. You can move closer to the person being harassed, but you just want to be safe. Take cues from the person being harassed. Um, are they engaging? Would you like me to sit with you? Just give them your card even. Just giving them your card will validate them and they can talk to you afterwards as they process what's happened. Um, but honor the person being harassed if they are resisting in their own way. And white folks, please don't tone police a person being harassed. You don't understand what it's like. Follow up with the individual being harassed after the incident is over. See if they need anything else. What a great time to buy someone a coffee. Anyway, uh, do what you need to do to keep yourself safe. Assess your surroundings. Um, is it easier to pull in another person for their support? Working as a team is a good idea. So if me and my husband are somewhere and we see a black woman being harassed, there's three of us against the person harassing them. Think about that. Can you and the person being harassed move to a safer space? Do not call the police. For many people experiencing harassment, the police can actually cause a greater danger for the person being harassed. I can't believe I have to emphasize this, but I do. Uh, people still don't understand what abolishing the police is all about, even though it's in all the MMIW reports. It's in so much information about how police kill us and get away with it, and you guys are a-okay fucking with it. So don't escalate the situation. The goal is to get the person being harassed to safety and not uh, incite further violence from the, uh, the attacker. And don't do nothing. Silence is dangerous. It provides um, approval and leaves the victim high and dry. If you find yourself too nervous or afraid to speak out, move closer to the person being harassed to communicate your support with your body. And teach your kids about accountability in a positive way. These kids are learning it from somewhere and now we have a, a young black woman who has left this earth because your kids are A-OK -okay with treating other kids like bags of shit. And then it just goes into adulthood where we wear white and privileged t-shirts and continue to oppress indigenous people by not giving them clean drinking water or making provincial parks on our sacred territories. You're experiencing emotional distress and want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It is toll-free. It is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and you can go to hopeforwellness.ca if you're a texter. And for folks who are non-Indigenous, there are distress center lines and suicide line prevention lines all across Canada for you that are white-coated, culturally sensitive for your needs. Um, violence is my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. That's why I started this podcast, to speak freely without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinion, but sure want to tell us theirs by people who no know nothing about Indigenous, know nothing about colonialism, know nothing about the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, and our rights, typical microaggressions, people dealing with internalized racism. So they become the gatekeepers that survive off the status quo. And then there are people who are so in their trauma, they stop people from doing the work and deplete personal resources. 
Internal and external racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. And that's why I needed this podcast as a boundary to be heard. I want to say thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom of what strength looks like through your examples. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt. My stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian roots and stepping up and teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. It is through her I am a second generation proud Calgarian. I want to say thank you to my husband, Darcy, for producing and editing this show. On top of being my husband, childhood friend, father of our child, and support my, on my journey down the red road, he has witnessed decades of racism and sexism. And to our child, who we are blessed to learn from daily, we are honored you chose us. You give us daily accountability to be a stronger, better person. And I hope my daughter and my family will be proud in the future trying to discuss these present day issues in a way that they can understand. Again, my Patreon account is Native Calgarian where you can pledge and support. Thank you, Adam, Alexandria, Beatrice, Ben, Beth, Brian, Kat, Celine, Christina, Crystal, Diana, Jana, Jenny, Jocelyn, Judy, Karen, Kathy, Kenna, Leah, Lisi, Marisa, Melissa, Morami, Natalie, Nathan, Rebecca, The Sprawl, Shara, Sharon, Tammy, Tiffany, Vanessa, and Veronica. Thank you all for signing up. If you did one donation or many and had to quit for financial reasons, please know I appreciate your support. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give, but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com. Who knows, you might be a guest. Send in your comments or your questions and go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcast and pin posts on social media. And I want to end by giving side-eye to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not tradish. And my beautiful cousin would respond, or you'd be in my dish. Thank you for listening.